you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. <laughs> and I think, I, I would hope, Zencaster ups the whole thing a little bit. But I mean, I can't imagine it's easy to build a platform through a web-based interface that handles video back and forth and then mixes it automatically. I mean, really, yeah. we're, we're kind of pie in the sky there. You know, just 10 years ago, we wouldn't have even been able to do that much. So Exactly. <laughs> but I could see that being a holy grail. I mean, as yeah. podcasts have grown, as the lockdown has continued, and there's so much more not to just do it, but to be able to capture it and do a good job in real time. When I first you know, this takes me back a little bit, way, way, way back when they first started to have vector-based graphics, not just pixel transformations, but where things had been um, reduced to equations and those equations, you could do transformations in much quicker real time. And so you started to see graphics programs that were, were able to do things others could not and that they never looked that you shed pixels, if you will. You got away from the 2D thing to it had a virtual state. And I think that as we've gotten better and better about codecs and um, modems and all the other things that make for, you know, what they call videvs or whatever it else it is, that someone's going to come up with that same breakthrough that the guy living in the mountains of France went away and did math for six months and came back with, I think I know how to do this. And then the whole world said, well, now that we know that it can be done, let's go into refinement mode, you know? <laughs> right. It'll be like, you know, nobody thought you could break a four minute mile running until Jesse Owens did it. And then suddenly like within six months, like five other people did it. It's, right. it's kind I think of, a, I think it was Jim Ryan, by the Jim, way, wasn't was it? Was it Jim, Jim Ryan? Ryan? I think so. Anyway, but, but yes, it, you're, you're probably your, your more point, right than I am. <laughs> you know, your, your point is made though, that sometimes, you know, don't, uh, the people who are telling you how it can't be done are often interrupted by the people doing it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know I, I mean? That's a great quote. I remember who that was from. Uh, the, I have heard that. Yeah. So, but you know, it may be like you've said a couple of times, maybe with the sound problem that maybe we just switch over to zoom. Maybe next week we'll just do a zoom call with audio. The, 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 the when we were just doing audio, Zencaster worked great because it was really quick, easy, click a button and we have it yes. almost ready. Right. But if we're putting video in the mix and throwing it onto YouTube, the downside is, well, okay. I was going to say the downside is extracting that audio, but zoom has even upped that because when they save the recording, they save an audio version and a video version. So you do get both, but it's, it's in a format that has to be converted, but that's not that big a deal. It's just time consuming. Yeah. So nothing's perfect, but, I mean, come on, seriously, we are recording a weekly, a radio show that we send out to people and we're doing video. I mean, right. Really, and we're, we're 40 miles apart and exactly. we're doing this in real time with like no stutter, no lag. I mean, just that, you know, I, this is a kind of a terrible thing to say. I hate it when people take a miracle and say, well, it's not the miracle I wanted. You know what I mean? When right. I, this is such a terrible, how, how many people have like, Maybe they've struggled to get pregnant and then they find out that there's this pregnancy enhancing drug and it gives them, but then the baby has blue eyes or something and they wanted brown. It's like, 
what are you talking about? This is right. way beyond gift horse in the mouth type thing. This is like, you didn't, you couldn't even dream yeah. of this thing happening. And now you're starting to persnick about it. I, that's just such an incredible, like, I don't even know, uh, ungratefulness or self-absorption or something like oh, that. Say, I have that discussion with my kids all the time, especially with the whole cyberpunk 2077 fiasco with video games. Okay. They, uh, some game will come out and they're like, Oh, that game sucks. And I'm playing. I'm like, uh, I think it's pretty great. <laughs> and they're like, no, it kind of sucks because, well, look at this right here. That, uh, you know, shield could have been much higher resolution. I'm like, seriously, <laughs> that's what we're basing. What sucks on is the shield could have been higher. You know, that's yeah, the type of discussion. Yeah. So I'm like, whatever, I'm going to go play space invaders and Galaga. I'm good. <laughs> well, I'm, honestly, isn't that human nature? I guess, you know what I mean? That, that we're talking about it always through our, our geek lenses, but there's never been a time when someone isn't pulling off like an Olympic miracle. And yet someone is complaining about, well, they could have had all five of the events won instead of only right. four five you know what i mean and yeah people who have come coming through the clutch again and again and then the one time they strike out i don't know bill buckner is such a famous sad example of that right that he was a fantastic ball player but he let the one grounder get through and like he actually had to like go incognito you know what i mean he couldn't just live his life anymore without people catcalling him and just i don't know man like they could do better like they could do better and the unappreciation of man you were only 99 percent a miracle but we're going to focus on the one percent there's got to be some i i am all about sense of proportion that's one of my favorite themes that i harp on because some people maybe it's cancel culture there's all manner of ways in which it evidences itself in the world nowadays and and i i've always thought man i I just i want to take a bigger perspective and say in the overall, I'm, I'm appreciative of the miracle, not, right. well, the miracle isn't getting exactly as fast as I want. You know what I mean? It's not. I, it, I, it's I, almost always entertainment of some sort. People want bitch and complain. It's like, you know, that two-hour Rachmaninoff concert that that guy memorized would have been a lot better if the piano would have been brown instead of black. <laughs> Shut up. Exactly. Sometimes. And honestly, here's, here's my thing. I honestly think it's because and there's no way to put this without sounding very elitist and very stuck up, but there's just people lead these sheltered lives. They live in their house. They go to work. They, they stare at a screen. They don't do anything. They haven't accomplished anything done. And by accomplished, I mean, just little things like I've been on the side of a mountain as the sun rose and watched the sun come up on the other, you know, the other mountain, the shadows. And then I walked 12 miles and set up a camp and I survived that way. You, you do those type of accomplishments and you appreciate these types of things. But when you don't have that, it's kind of like everything in the world kind of sucks. And, and it's just a mindset you. or something, but it's like, you know, people go look at what's around you. I mean, even the going to the river, we went to the river a couple of years ago with the kids and they were just fascinated by the clay and they were playing with the clay. And it's like, right. Isn't that much better than sitting at home watching a YouTube video? And it's a little thing, but you need those experiences in life to really appreciate it. And when you're not getting them, then it it gets that mindset. It's that crotchety old man mindset. It's like, "Eh, kids get off my lawn. You know, 
because what I have is this one plot of earth and it's mine and, it, and you know, that's the over focus. Right. You know, I, I, I was in the course of my life, I was in the society for creative anachronism, you know, the people that recreate medieval times, sword fighting and food and stuff like that. And what I noticed was there was a big crossover between that and computer science guys like me. And I was like, well, what an odd thing. I would have thought that people who are already closer to making things with their hands and et cetera, would be the natural Venn diagram, bigger crossover. But kind of what I discovered, not only in others, but in me was when you spend your time in unreality, you know, what you just talked about that people's life experience nowadays is often virtual. Well, if you were a computer science guy, you often spent your time in, um, this code is going to make something happen, but looking at the code, it's, one step removed. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, all, always you're modeling, you're representing what's going to happen. And when you do that, I don't know, 16 hours a day for your career, you really have the need to like, I need something besides my hands and my eyes. I need the full sensory experience of being outdoors. I need to like feel sweat and tension on my muscles. I I need to feel love. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. There's just, there's you, your body, your mind is well aware of what you're missing to have your full human experience. And it kind of steers you towards, you know, in between computing, why don't you go for a bike ride? Why don't you go and, you know, and swing a sword and that kind of stuff. So I have, I don't know that I've kept up with my Scott experiences, but I definitely, why do Colleen and I love going hiking and stuff like that? Because it is, she does some virtual things as well. You know, she's a finance person. She works on uh, retirement plans for big corporations and making sure that all the people are moving towards retirement. Well, that's similar situation. It's all monies and accounts, but it's not necessarily real. It's all long time horizons. And so it's not like instant gratification. And some part of I'm a cog in the machine and I'm going to make this happen. It's different than, Hey, I'm on top of this mountain and I earned it with every step. I did not helicopter in. I, you know what I mean? I, right. I made this good thing happen. And that feeling of participation and accomplishment is so important when the, the reality doesn't have a lot of that for you. If you work in a very virtual environment, you know, and, so, and, and I can see the comments coming of, eh, who cares? I, I had my Oculus on. I was on the side of a mountain yesterday skiing. I was bored after 10 seconds, so I stopped. Not the same thing. Not in any way. Though I wouldn't mind having an Oculus. But, you know. I'll tell you what. This is a very I, – I, I just joined a, a group on Facebook called Vroom. That's about virtual reality for Mensons. You know, so it's about – and I have experimented with that. And what I've discovered is virtual reality doesn't have it anywhere near as much to me as augmented reality. Yeah. By that meaning, uh, there, there's still, I, because maybe I'm a bad candidate for virtual reality, I process things very quickly and I immediately know when there's stutter and lag. I immediately notice when things aren't quite, and, and again, not in a complaining way, but like if you're looking for immersive virtual reality, you can't have it that you can turn your head faster than it can replot it for right. you. Whereas augmented reality, you're still getting the world and you're just getting all the cool additions of, oh, there's, and what have we learned, you know, Pokemon Go is all about now the world is inhabited by little creatures that you couldn't right. see before without your special. And like, I've, I love, this is a, um, a lot of people are really spooked by the idea of Google glasses or things that give you all the time, real time information on everywhere you go, people, places, things. But how cool is that to be out hiking? How many times have I said, I wonder what that mountain is over there? And you just 
hold focus for a second. It goes, well, that's Mount Musilauke and it's, you know, 5,400 feet. And it was first climbed by, you know, Edmund Hillary. I just, there's something very cool about having information at my fingertips and not in a intrusive, distractive way, but in a, if I say, Hey, I wonder what that is. Kind of like saying, Hey Siri, or just like by giving it focus, it just starts to, and and, this, and I guess the way get, people get paranoid is if I focus too much on a person, oh, now I know their finances. Now I know their, their sexual <laughs> proclivities. Right, and I don't yeah. know that I want, I'd have to be able to turn on and off what I would consider to be kind of like rude or intrusive as opposed to helpful. And, and, and so I'm looking forward to getting more of those things. And right now I'm not actively part of it. You know, I don't walk around with Apple or Google glasses on and they, and, and maybe because there was such a backlash, I don't know that I want to be one of the people that's taking all the flack for, Hey, you're recording me, you know, get away from me with that, that kind of thing. In some ways it's going to have to be when they come in a regular pair of glasses and people don't know, (laughs) you know what I mean? And I'm not using it to be a spy and get over on them, but I really would love to have, I'm in a, a store and I look at, Hey, this is a cool box set. I've wanted to have this, um, Osric Tentacles box set for a while, and it does a quick check and say, well, you could buy it here and support local, or for $5, $5 less, you can, you know, go via Amazon, and it gives you choices that otherwise you just have to say wonder and walk away, and I like all that, you know, I like yeah, that. There, there's a lot <laughs> of applications that that's going to open up. I got two things with that, what you just said. So one, for virtual reality, there is a game on PlayStation, Oculus, I don't remember which, but it's Star Trek Bridge Crew, and you actually play with like five, four or five people all with glasses on, and you are the members of the Star Trek Bridge Crew, crew and you have to go through adventures. Now, that is worth, you know, <laughs> I almost bought a PlayStation just to play that stupid game. Yeah. And if anything, if doing it with other people is a key factor there, yes. that it's not just you and the machine. It's that you're you're having to deal with, okay, right. everybody has emotions, everybody has information, let's get through this together. That yeah. would be a very cool bonding experience. Yeah, sure. I totally agree. And honestly, if I had enough money, I'd buy the PlayStations and the glasses and I'd bring it to an RG and have a session, you know, a room. It's like, hey, you want to come in? We'll, everybody can take turns and because I guarantee it'd be a line. People would be coming in all day. See, that's the thing. It wouldn't be taking turns. There'd be people there that were like, okay, I'm going to wear my astronaut pants and not go to the bathroom for 48 hours because I can't come out of this game. Everybody would have ears on and jackets and the shirts. I know it would be crazy. And then it'd be, are you, well, you can't be in here because that's a Farscape outfit, not a Star Trek. And I outran, I mean, you, you know, that it would be TV show purity, drama in the hallways. Um, and also something Gina and I have done that you mentioned Pokemon Go. Have you and Colleen ever looked at Pokemon Go or the Harry Potter Wizards United to play that while you're out on your walks and things? We have not. And and I guess it's a little bit of like while I'm out on the walk, I'm appreciating nature and I don't know that I want to be, well, that sure is a nice ice formation on the frozen river, but oh, here's a little dragon that I have to capture. <laughs> I, I kind of, it, seemed, it would seem to cheapen the experience, but having said that, I should do both, right? In other words, when I'm out in nature, I wouldn't be able to see the beautiful trees. But if all I'm going to do is wander around downtown Cleveland and right. find cool stuff, then you just do one of each. You know what right. I mean? You yeah. do each in its we, turn. We've so. actually done it with the Harry Potter as like a date night. We'll, we'll go out to get something to eat, but eat in the car and we'll drive around until we find a tower and we do a battle and then we'll find a cool looking place and get out and walk around with the thing. So we kind of do both because it's not like, oh my gosh, you have to run over here and do this. Now you have to go do this mission over here. It's very, when you get somewhere and something will 
most of the time things are there for a while. So it's not like, oh my gosh, we've got to rush over here, but you know, we'll forget about this street performer, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. yeah. I really am fascinated with the people like that. That's a different, interesting level of creativity. Someone setting up all those games, all those scenarios where they're looking at a place and saying, you know, this is similar enough that if I just overlay some combat, some monsters, some, yeah. uh, uh, you know, treasure to be found and stuff like that. That's there. I, I think I mentioned one of my favorite, like, um, books I had so low expectations of, and then could not stop reading was a book called date demon or Damon by, um, Oh, I, it's kind of funny. I love this author and I can never remember it. It, it'll come to me. Um, it's where he talks about augmented reality in, in a very cool way of you're able to like summon resources and depending on your status in your augmented reality society, um, you, you can gain an edge on the rest of the world, if you will. Well, well, of course the bad guys are aware of that as well. And there's even a um, augmented reality avatar who is an artificial intelligence that you have to worry about. You know, he can, uh, interfere with your enjoyment of the world to death <laughs> and things like that. And, um, Silva, Sliva, Daniel Silva, it might be. That Daniel, sounds familiar. Okay, exactly. But he, he, that, that in reality 2.0 were both really, really good takes and just a little bit like Crichton, a little bit like certain authors who, instead of being spacefaring, far away science fiction, it's like, okay, this is the world plus. It's a kind of like what we're seeing here, but it's the reasonable extrapolation of what's going to happen when we have nanites in our bodies and we're immortal. What's going to happen when we have augmented reality? And you know what I mean? It, it's, I love that, that it's a little bit disconcerting of like, okay, this is all too real. And it's just that little bit of it could go either way. Which world do we choose? How are we going to have it be that it's all going to be happy and everybody gets more resources or it's going to be espionage and a fight for resources? Right. Anyway, really, really well done. I'll have to look that one up. I think yeah. you've mentioned it. It's probably on my list to get, but it's like, you know, here's the books I have time to read and then here's yes. everything else, you know? Yes. So. <laughs> Uh, speaking of books, you mentioned that you've been reading uh, some comedy books, and uh, we talked about comedy in general, movies, exactly. books, music. Uh, so, so, so what's on your list there? Boy, so the latest thing was, I uh, remember Jack Handy from the Saturday Night Live days? He used to oh, have yeah. Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy, really <laughs> right. you know, pithy. Um, well, he's continued to produce not only those books, but works of original fiction, kind of like Dave Barry, segueing from being only a columnist to having also some books. And his uh, Jack Handy's latest one is called the stench of Honolulu. <laughs> and, and it's, it's so like, um, it's funny. It's perfectly pithy funny. You don't have to do a lot of slogging. It's continually, um, just the wonderful, absurd and great turns of phrase, great commands over the English language and stuff like that. And just, I love books where you're sitting there alone in the room and you're laughing. You know what I mean? That he's able to communicate the laughter, the, the humor to you so well that it's not only a matter of seeing another human face laughing and then you kind of automatically laugh to be in sympathy. First time I read like Woody Allen without feathers or getting even and was cracking up, laughing my ass off all by myself. There's just such power in someone that can do that. And, and mad magazine has always had that, you know yes. what I mean? That, that, and where it's so good, you can't wait to share it with a friend. Cause you know, when they get to that part and they start laughing, it's like, Oh, you just hit the good, you know, Don Martin right. one where he, right. I just, there's something very cool about that ability to encapsulate. One of the reasons I've always loved comic strips is because they, the, the 
the grueling labor of doing three panels a day every day for years and years and being able to be funny consistently, that's an amazing talent, actually. You know what I mean? To develop characters and turn a phrase and have funny, absurd situations and just and the pacing of it. And so um, be, be, so besides Stench of Honolulu, it was um, I, I have been reading collections of things. And it's kind of funny. I've kind of lost track of. I really like certain comic strips, but we stopped getting a regular daily newspaper. And then when that kind of fades from your consciousness, you're not aware of, you know, they still keep putting them out. And so there are the latest Foxtrot collections and there's the latest um, Doonesbury and whatever else it might be. And, and there's Go Comics. And, and I, I just, of all the things that I've been tempted to subscribe to, I'm still not a member of Comicsology because I tend to get things from the library and whatever else it might be. But I really was missing out of all the newspaper, you know, I was missing the comic strips more than anything else. Yeah. I found substitutes via Reddit and Facebook and stuff like that for getting my daily news, biased and unbiased. But anyway, um, so, and it's very cool that there's lots of stuff out there. People are still putting out, you know, not only are there web comics that have their own existence, but Go Comics still is the syndicator, if you will. Right. And um, I was, of course, sad like everybody else was when, you know, Calvin and Hobbes went away and Farside went away and Bloom County went away, some of my favorites. But then Bloom County came back so, so did far side. yeah exactly and like I, I haven't seen that on a regular basis but i have a far side calendar for this year and like you know knowing that bill waterston lives right here in the cleveland yes. area i have such a fantasy of one day it'll just start up again and it will be i'll be like crying over oh my god we've missed <laughs> you so much we've missed your humor we've missed your point of view we've that, missed your, oh man I, I, that's funny because uh my some of my writing when i write some of the books I, I'm, I'm trying to hit that middle grade and yes. in my mind i picture spaceman spiff and his yes. adventures and and it really helps me get into that flow in the mood of you know thinking like that and the adventure and the fun and that's what I, dear god that's his stuff was so amazing because it captured that whole shift between reality and not reality you know calvin yes. calvin's Kids real he's a boy imagination yes yeah. exactly but so is hobbs just as real just because the adults can't see him except as a stuffed animal so is he an interdimensional being is he reality to calvin and nobody else or is he actual reality but we're seeing the overlay and just those little right. things that's the adult in me thinking the kid is just it's all fun and it's imagination and the spaceman spiff worlds and you know, th the things he would do, like, you know, how he got Hobbs, he captured him in a, a trap with a tuna fish sandwich. A tuna fish sandwich. He's you know? irresistible. That's right. Yeah. So, I think that this trip was running for like a week or even two before they showed Calvin interacting with Hobbs from day to day. It was the real tiger. And then they showed like mom had to pop him in the uh, washer wash. because he got dirty and he was a plush toy. It's like, Oh, that's such a great vehicle. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, that it wasn't just a, uh, uh, kids only in his, I'm trying to think it was his imagination, but how fully realized to show the static plush toy versus the nice scraggly Hobbs in re oh, that in reality, if you will, yeah. very, and, very and well done. He definitely kept <laughs> his integrity and kept the humor and the lightheartedness and didn't devolve into political statements though. 
There's some of those, but in a very kid and lighthearted way. Exactly. Uh, I thought, you know, social than political, you know what I mean? He talks about, you know, what is, what's it like to be the, uh, um, the smartest guy in the world? I just can't stand that. I'm having to put up with all these other people. And of course, Hobbes comments on, you know, the zipper goes in front on those pants, right? (laughs) Right, Exactly. It's, it's, it was so perfectly done. And and the the fact that Hobbes is named after a famous psychologist is, you know, just that subtle little detail. Well, and just that, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, just that they're both named after like giants of philosophy, if you will, and that their identities, if you will, play out in the comic strip, you know what I mean? Which is reality versus, versus, anyway, yes, I agree. (laughs) And and just, just everything about it, I turned my kids onto it and that my son just bought the whole complete collection. (laughs) So, you know, it had an impact and that's comedy. We've talked about it before. Comedy has impact. Absolutely. This is very funny. You know, I, I know that I could not have someone in my life that didn't have a sense of humor. And so when Colleen and I were first dating, I, luckily it was like, we, we kind of got together for real as of October. We met, we, we knew each other from before, but got together at Halloween. And so then we had Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hey, opportunity for gifts. Well, as you might imagine, it was like, I, I gave her things that I really love. And it was a way of showing who I am, because this is like the funniest things in the world to me. And then finding out that not only did she like them, but she already had a couple in the, you know, life in hell series by Matt Groening or a bunch of the Calvin and Hobbes books. And, and, you know, her son, Tim was pretty much Calvin growing up, you know, incredibly smart young man and what given to flights of fancy and stuff like that. And so it was, I can't like, there's, there's almost no, um, what would you call it? confidence that I had in our budding relationship, there's no better things I could have put into the plus column than she really knows what I'm talking about when I say the life in hell seven, you know, uh, um, bosses from hell or make a reference to Calvin and Hobbes. This is, this is about as revealing as I can get. She has a phenomenal memory, absolutely as good as mine. And mine is really weirdly good. I don't know why I remember as much as I do. And (laughs) at one point, we were making fun of, you know, attestations of love. And I said, you know, an eyes as dark as, and she completed frying pans, which is a quote from a Flintstones episode from oh, like wow. the mid, if not early sixties. So we both would have been five, six, seven years old. You know what I mean? We would have been pups back then. And yet it stayed with you. And we both laughed and we both melted with <laughs> oh my god she gets it he gets it it's just such a weird you know what i mean it, it, anybody else would be like really that's not the most most romantic thing i've ever heard but i'll tell you if you're a freak who has this weird memory and you find someone simpatico and not and that they appreciate it that they remember the cool funny blips not just eidetic memory where you remember everything they have the ability to summon those iconic cool things it was it was a lightning bolt of coolness. Nice. It was just, I was so happy to have found someone. Now, like now why so, haven't they made a Hallmark nerd romance movie? I mean, you know, <laughs> come on. You know, maybe they have. I didn't watch enough of those, you know, four o'clock afternoon movies to uh, say, you know, hey, geek love or something like that. I, yeah, I don't think they have. About it, you know, that, that maybe there's some, if not Hallmark movies, they've made other movies where it really was you know, a young man bound for love, you know what I mean? But he happens to not, not have the best way with the ladies. And so I don't know, American pie has a geek character, you know, well, Wonderland. I'm trying to think of what things. The, well, there's a the big bang theory, which had four distinct 
nerd personalities and they all basically had their own challenges with romance, but found something at some point uh, in a very comedic way. And even Sheldon and Amy, you know, she learned to deal with his uh, uniqueness the way he was. And, you know, there, there were a couple times when they'd get upset with him, and he's like, wait a minute, you're mad and upset with me, but this is who I am. This is right. how I'm expressing myself. And you knew going in that this yeah. is who I was. You know what I yeah. mean? Actually, Scott Pilgrim Saves the World is a wonderful, like you know, a, a good geek love story. It really speaks to geek culture, all the video game stuff, all the comic book stuff. All the it, it's that's a really good one for you. Have to get a lot of the references to enjoy the movie, but if you do, it's Easter egg heavy. It's so yeah. good with all the and and the fact that they got all kinds of like good actors, heavyweight people to yeah. be in it, playing the various different. I don't know. I I've watched that more than once because it was like I just. I want to appreciate it again. I remember how much I loved it. And I was laughing so much that sometimes you miss the next line, you know, so you have to watch it more than once. (laughs) It's like a video game Monty Python. Yes. (laughs) So So, yeah, it's, I, I just, uh, I love comedy CDs. It's a little weird, you know, that, that, uh, uh, we love live comedy. We love stand up, and almost always when I when they have things for sale at their merch table afterwards, I hardly ever buy the DVD because I kind of want the focus on the voice and the intonation and the craft of how they've put it together more than I want to see them. I know that's an odd thing. I guess my sense of humor is I of course enjoy physical comedy. We just watched the Marx Brothers movies. In fact. I know I'm jumping around, but that this is just how my life is. We've been working our way through various different, like all the Hitchcocks, all the Woody Allens, all the um, uh, Wes Andersons, that kind of stuff. And we're kind of running out, you know, and we're getting to the end of the Cone Brothers. So what else do I want to see? I've always wanted to see all the Marx Brothers in order. I probably have seen all of them, but not necessarily in order to admire the craft in which they grew over the course of time. And it's very cool to see a movie from 1929 and like, wow, they were funny as hell. And you want to think, well, it's black and white. It can't be as good as our full-blown color special effects extravaganza. No, they're fantastically funny and fantastically talented. And the the way that they do, you know, comedy is like time-honored from 100 years of Commedia dell'arte or vaudeville or whatever their influences are. And so it's very cool to see how well-crafted it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. So, um we, uh, we, Woody Allen is, we, we, a lot of his early stuff is the most absurdly funny. And then he got serious and then they got funny again and stuff like that. And occasionally he has a clinker, but, but it's, um, I really enjoy, it's kind of like, you know, whatever he's doing, I want to see it. He's proven himself enough to me as a, an artist and, and as a Give director a that I want to see it. And, and that is one of those guys you kind of have to, sorry, let me turn that, um, yeah, darn it. There we go. You, uh, he's got baggage. He's got maybe bad things that he did. And so, yeah, this, he's my prime candidate for, can I separate the artist from his art and really still enjoy in, as opposed to, I don't know, I can't get past someone like Bill Cosby. I loved him growing up. Right. And yet, I don't know, somehow being like a drugging rapist, makes me it, it makes my skin crawl so much that I can't give him a break and I'm not sure about other people that people other people really do they jump on Al Franken they jump on Louis CK maybe I'm talking about comedy people in particular that they're still very funny but 
some people could never get into Andrew Dice Clay because his act was to be the most, the biggest jerk, the biggest misogynist ass that you could imagine. And so I'm, I guess that's one of those places in which I give myself, I'm just going to see what it's like and see if it's the, I'm embarrassed to be laughing, but I'm still laughing or whether it is, okay, he's wearing on me now. This is a one note, a one trick pony. And and his his humor is so offensive that I don't want to be tricked into laughing. You know what I mean? I have, I have all kinds of reactions, I guess, to various different things. I know this got serious, but that's comedy is telling a lot of truth. You know, that's often what I say when we go to see stand up. I see more truth told in an hour than in a week's worth of news by the comedian who just, they know where the line is and they're going to drag you right up to it and see if they can get you to step across with them. That's a really interesting talent to be able to speak the unspeakable, to be able to talk about things that you know make people uncomfortable in a funny way, in a, you know, so just, I've seen a comedian say, you know, there's no good rape jokes and then say one, which is kind of amazing. I've seen Sarah, um, Silverman do a Holocaust joke and it's like, how, how can you? And yet that's a safety valve. There's incredible value in humor to being able to talk about the unspeakable, you know? So, well, the the thing with Bill Cosby is one thing because I'm like you, there's so much good Bill Cosby. I love the storytelling type of comedy more than the one liner after one liner. I, 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 that's what I, I could listen to his stories and laugh constantly, but then you find out about the personal life and you're right. How do you separate it? You know, we've talked about this with musicians. There's a lot of great musicians that are horrendous people, you know, and, and, and sports they, people and politicians. So yeah. celebrity always has its, you know, do they have feet yep. of clay or not even feet of clay? Are they feet of sulfur because they're in hell? You know right. I mean? and, so. But then you get things, and this is way out getting off course, but then you get things like everyone shunning Johnny Depp because of what Amber Heard said. But then it turns out she completely lied just to ruin him and his reputation. So, right. but you got those feelings. So it gets hard to go back to feeling differently. It's just totally yeah. unfair. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I I definitely have that. Now that I've, it's not only Johnny Depp, there's any number of people, like I'm trying to think the lacrosse players, remember that were right. accused and it turns out that that was specious. There's, I really am, I, I believe women more than jerk guys do because I think women have put up with a whole bunch of horrible behavior from guys for a long time. But I'm also aware that there's all kinds of, bad actors out there, some female as well as male, and that you really can wreck somebody's business reputation, personal reputation, et cetera, et cetera, without it being the truth. And so you kind of have to ask those unfortunate questions of, well, that doesn't, your story doesn't hang together. Let's go over that again. Cause then like, I don't want to be questioning you. And yet I kind of have to, because this is devastating if it's true. You know what I mean? And and like we were talking about kind of near the beginning, people just want to jump on the bandwagon and immediately condemn somebody. Well, you heard one line in a news article on Reddit, you know, come on. Right. Exactly. That's not doing a lot of research. That's wow. That's just the way the world is nowadays is that, you know, a lie can be around the world twice while the truth is getting its pants on, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So you were talking about uh, classic comedy movies and that's the other great thing about comedy is some people find things funny that others don't (laughs) like dice clay. Uh, And I think Marx brothers and uh, things like that are hilarious. I still like Charlie Chaplin. I don't laugh, chuckle out loud, but I, it it's lighthearted. I enjoy it. Um, 
But yes, for there's, me, there's a whimsical humor instead yes. of being a really make you laugh out loud, you know, yeah. that it makes that it feels feel good. And it's about the human condition. Yes. Charlie Chaplin is exactly about that. You know, yeah. the, the everyman type comedy. Yes. And, and for me, and I know this isn't a hugely popular opinion, but I never got into like airplane and things like that. I've never laughed and found them that funny. The, okay. I, I will quote it sometimes and get a little chuckle because of the people I'm with. But if I'm getting a comedy movie, that's not usually my choice for me. Action comedy movies are way funnier. I will watch lethal weapon and laugh all day long over watching like airplane or something like that. Yeah. See, I I like both of those things and maybe airplane is one of those things. I kind of like the overwhelm of it. You know what I mean? That they're going to just take every single joke they can find and throw it onto the screen and, and so I, I like that. I like the wordplay and the absurd humor and that kind of stuff. I like the playing against type. Like Leslie Nielsen got an entire new career. He yeah. used to be, you know, a Hollywood heart guy. He you was in I mean? Forbidden Planet. <laughs> like that. Exactly. And then you see him, like I said, he got another 30 years worth of playing, you know, Frank Drebin, right? You know, and, that yeah. and, and, and Police Squad and stuff like that. Um, I really... Uh, another, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm at an interesting, I guess, you know, foot in both camps by being born in 59. I grew up with a lot of 60s TV, which was silly, but then starting to have some things of quality and a lot of 50s and 40s movies. And the first time that you see like a Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie where it's a little bit battle of the sexes and a little bit, you know, framed by the 40s and 50s. So it's, um, apparently the woman is going to annoy the guy into falling in love with him, which I always find absurd, but the wit, the byplay, the density of the script and how they're not like pausing in between each thing to get a big laugh, but they just keep going. And they're so like playful with each other and occasionally, you know, putting in the little stilettos when it's necessary. I love verbal humor when it really is, um, Movies became, for instance, where, wow, the kids are going to save the day and all the adults are either incompetent or, or you know, uh, evil. And I love when there's actually adults speaking adult dialogues and there's a little bit of innuendo. There's a little bit of, you know what I mean? I just, there's a, yeah, there's yeah. A, maybe back in the days of adult humor versus kid humor. It didn't mean swear words. It meant that you talked about like mature things. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, I do you have a little ennui? Do you have a little bit of, I've been in love and out of love a couple times. And after a while, do you get jaded or do you just keep soldiering onwards, hoping to find love again? And, you know, spinster humor or I don't know. There's it. I, I loved that. Uh, it was a way of my growing up. You know what I mean? When I'm a, a kid or a teen and I'm watching adults do adult things and like, well, I don't have any of that under my belt yet. So I don't know what it's like to really be like, oh man, I thought that she was like my girl, but I see her over having dinner with that other guy. And like, you know what I mean? There was like, yeah. I, it gave you a kind of a fast forward and same with Mad Magazine. I learned so much about politics and advertising and and just celebrity culture and just i don't know the world in general before i had experienced it you know what i mean i didn't live in the streets of new york i didn't been in the army and yet i had a good feel for all of those things because mad so well made fun of the the absurdities of them and that's what you know? made it so, funny it was pushing it to the limit and it but it was a true thing you know that's some of the funniest stuff in our family personally and I mean, the show that popped in my mind when you were saying that, that was comedy, but really social commentary and satire is uh, all in the family. Archie Bunker. Yes. 
I mean, there's probably no other show that could have been completely condemned and had the people burnt alive at the stake for what they were <laughs> saying. And, you know, in this day and age, Carol O'Connor probably would have got death threats. But I did not even understand that show until I was in college. And then it, yes. you had to have a certain maturity to understand it. And the absurdness of Archie Bunker's thinking that's the funny part. And, and everybody knows he's like that. And it, it was still funny and it was mature and well done. And that, that sometimes takes a whole, not sometimes uh, that always takes a whole lot of thinking to be able to not have just social commentary and good stories, but to make it funny that, that I, that's, Absolutely. you know, that shows the epitome of that. Yeah, there's a through line with where they have, people have been talented enough as performers and writers that they were able to take like a loathsome human being and still portray him in a way that's at least interesting, maybe even sympathetic. So like Barney on How I Married Your Mother is a total hound dog, a total lech. And yet there's enough times when he's like kind of rooting for him a little bit. <laughs> And when he shoots himself there. in the foot. <laughs> exactly. And maybe there's that, you know, there's that wonderful come up and so, well, that doesn't, that's not going to work. You know, you think it's working and you're, you're living in your own little dream world. Stephen Colbert, before he did his talk show, if you will, when he did um, the Colbert Rapport and played a conservative commentator, you know, it was like birthed by when he did the, uh, um, let's see. American Correspondence Dinner, whatever that one is, where it's like, you know, all the media personalities and the and president and others are there. And he stayed in character so perfectly lampooning George Bush by saying the kinds of things that are kind of revered in certain camps, but just saying them bluntly and without irony, you get like, well, that's not right. That's kind of madman talking. You know what I mean? Right. And the fact that he could do that and still be a likable character and come up with ways of looking at the news that you were telling the truth again and again and again with just enough comedy that people were not sure if he was joking or not. And tell me that's not a skill. Yes. You, it has to hang in the air and everybody's like, okay, I, I think I get it, but that's a really ugly thing, but it's really kind of funny. And the comedy of juxtaposition of ambiguity is a really difficult thing to do instead of just being broad and pratfally and stuff like that. Right. You know? So I love that. <laughs> yeah. And without coming across as just being snarky and sarcastic. Yeah, exactly. Know. It's not all irony. It's not like you're always detached and you're just commenting on it because, Oh, that doesn't affect you. You're just so above it all. Exactly. I, 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 I don't, I think that that's another one of the things if it's done well, it's good, but a whole bunch of people went to irony and repetition and like, there's a style of comedy over the last 10 years that it's like, wow, you got to, you got to hone your craft there. You know, when we go to our comedy festivals, we've been to Chicago and Montreal and Toronto and, and all kinds of, you know, Cleveland, all kinds of city comedy festivals. And you can kind of see who adopted that style or not. And it's like, you know, look at a great, like Brian Reagan, who really is funny compared to a hack like Dane Cook, where it's, that's so derivative or that's so like punching down. There's like a, a series of sins that I could name that I think are not good comedy. And he like checked every box <laughs> repetitive. You know what I mean? Like I heard you the first time and, and please don't comment during your show about how we're not laughing enough. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're funny or I'll oh, laugh, man. but if you're not, I'll be happy to give you the, the look. Wow. And, you know what I mean? It's just, it's your own, everybody's their own little critic and their own little, uh, sounding board i guess for that kind of stuff but that's one of those this here's, here's a way i got in trouble once <laughs> i went to um there was a, a lady comic 
that was um, talking a lot about how she was just irresistible to men and that that it was causing her so many problems in her life. And it wasn't said in an absurd way. It was said in a very prideful way. And I commented on, you know, if you're going to have that kind of humor, you kind of have to be a bombshell instead of like, I wouldn't give you a second look. I'm not after you and I'm a guy. And of course, my, my lady friends who wrote that, read that particular Facebook comment, it was like, oh, lookism. Oh, you're being a bad guy by judging her on, on her appearance. It's like, I, she started it. I wouldn't have said anything about her except that was her whole act was how impossibly beautiful and men are wrapped around her fingers. And it's, you know, men are such hound dogs and it's like, but, and you're the one saying all that. And then right. if it's not true, somebody has to inform you that that's an ill-fitting outfit or whatever else it might be. You know what I mean? So it was, I guess there's a thing about comedy where there's, um, uh, you have to have an incredible boldness to go up on stage with just you and a mic and be able to talk to the audience. And I, I, when you see like, especially rafts of all kinds of young comedians and you can see where they're honing their craft, they're getting better at, they're working the room and others, they just love stage time. There's some people that are so like narcissistic and look at me I was, that yes, they that's what I was take stand up as instead of I'm trying to be a movie star, or I'm trying to be a recording star. They're going to take stand up comedy to be the thing. It's like, man, if you're going to want more than two minutes of stage time, you're going to have to get better at your job. Narcissism <laughs> you know, just doesn't go over well with comedy, not as well as in music or acting in movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, we talking about all the comedy stuff. I want to throw out um, a, a comedy writer that I've been reading of late that has become one of my favorites. Um, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. It is not uh, gone with the wind writing. It, you know, okay. uh, people sometimes think everything has to be compared to like gone with the wind or, you know, um, Kitcher in the rye or whatever, okay. which per honestly, I could care less about those books. I like things <laughs> that I, classics. yeah, okay, right. Yeah, I okay. think uh, I got a whole story there. I think more kids would read if we'd stop, make them read the crap that we do. But, <laughs> um, so this guy, Jeff strand, um, I ran into one of his books and just utterly fell in love with it. It is comedy horror. It's kind of like an adult goosebumps is how I kind of described it. Very good. Okay. And I, I just, I gobbled it up and loved it. Then I come to find out that growing up, not his whole life, but part of his life, he lived in Kent and he was born two days before I was. So I was like, oh, this is kind of kismet here, you know, <laughs> to find Very out fun. all this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And actually, he's going, I interviewed him for my other podcast. So he'll it's be covered covered horsemen. Exactly. Very yeah. cool. Very um, good. But I highly recommend his stuff if you want something lighthearted. And a little bit of horror and a little bit of comedy. And he does it very well. The the one, um, the, there's this one called Wolf Hunt that has two gangsters in it. And okay. they're they're perfect. They're absolutely perfect. Um, I will and, definitely look him up. I mean, I, that's I one of my favorite things in the world is getting a recommendation and finding out, oh, it's not just a book. It's a series. I get to go hunting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I that's just a wonderful yeah. thing to look forward to. A one that that a, a new immersive thing. Wonderful. If you enjoyed the Carmack movies, the B-rated monster flicks at midnight, then okay. you would enjoy his books. It's kind of like a a novelization of a B horror movie. Very uh, good at That's, times. Yeah, and in reply, I'll say, have you read any AJ Martinez? I think it's AJ. Um, he does. Heard of you know, him, not read. 
It's they're really good. He does parodies of various different genres of fantasy, of science fiction, of of horror, and that kind of stuff, and and just really good at understanding what makes that genre so interesting to its biggest fans and how to turn a little bit of those things on its head to point out the absurdities, but to do it in a loving way. And I think he's got like 10 or 12 books out now. And I, I, he has never disappointed me that, that, and some of them have been like where you, you, I, you know, Colleen and I often for the last, you know, hour of the day, read in bed. And I'm like, yeah, you got to turn to your wife and say, let me just read this passage to you because of how perfectly crafted yeah. it is. And he, he really, I just, I, one of those guys were like, I kind of want to, when I see his books uh, or even on sale, especially, I kind of want to buy them and give them to a friend and say, trust me, Check it out. <laughs> I'm giving you an incredible gift. Cause if you like this, there's more where this came from and you're going to just, you know, <laughs> and that's a testament because writing comedy is not easy. It, it's not easy. It, delivering it on stage isn't easy, but you can play it a little bit. You can react to the audience and, and the way you say it and is it, but people read in different ways. I hear the voices in my head different than you do. So writing something that's funny can be very difficult. It's very stark black and white. So to have anybody that we like that writes comedy that, you know, right. it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm Mr. Quotes today. I know there's a quote from somebody that says like, you know, dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's a, uh, there's another guy. So uh, AJ Martinez, it's kind of funny. It, um, he has books like, um, too many witches and um, something like the versus the pulsating brain. I'm trying to think, you know, doctor <laughs> something. Okay, you know, I'm going like, to check from them out. the titles. You can yes. tell what what thing he's lampooning, if you will. So you'll 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 see the section and you'll browse down the titles and you'll go, man, there's like half a dozen here I want to read because I like those the fantasy one and the science fiction one and that kind of stuff. His oh, uh, latest one that I read was. Uh, Constance Verity saves the world. It's a little bit of a takeoff, maybe on the Spy Kids movies that Robert Rodriguez has been doing, uh-huh. and and but and and they're really good because the hero is well aware of. Man, things go my way all the time. I get the best coincidences that let me get out of the death trap and find the clue and that kind of stuff. And it plays with that. Uh, the absurdity of, you know, if someone's going to save the world, how do, how do they do that? Is there like a luck lure that gave them their abilities? And it's Constance Verity, of course, being the perfect name for the Buffy, yeah, the yeah. vampire slayer type character, if you will. Um, I really love Christopher Moore in the same way. He does yes. maybe not fantasy and science fiction, but he does a fantasy take on real world situations. And so he's got it's like, you know, vampire book called You Suck or something like that. You know what I mean? And the, uh, let's see, um, Island of the Sequent Love Nuns, where it's like, I have to read it just from the title. I have, you know what I mean? Exactly, or the, yes. The, I, I know. And, and, and a little bit of like, kind of like Why the Caged Bird Sings, but I think it was the... Um, um, forlorn whale of love hollow or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I'm butchering it because his title is so much better than the butchery that I'm making of it. And I just, he not only has those great premises, but takes it just to that right point of absurdity. He doesn't have one series, but they do interconnect. And so you get characters reappearing and sometimes in ways that you didn't expect it. So that's a very cool thing. A little personal Easter egg. And he, um, the, 
he has phrases that I have adopted because they're just so handy. So like whenever something goes bad in a Shakespearean way, you have to say, that's heinous fuckery most foul. <laughs> <laughs> that should be Maybe on t-shirt. You're going to drop in church and yet with the right crowd, that's just. Well, and, and, <laughs> I, I've said things like that in church. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, before we go, because I got to unfortunately jump off, um, we need to mention uh, some kings of comedy in, in the music realm, Dr. Demento and Weird Al. I, I mean, exactly. there's like that. They they have the whole and it, Dr. Demento didn't create the comedy, but there's all you need to know is Dr. Demento and Weird Al. You've got right. comedy. If you've been listening to the Dr. Demento show for pretty much all your life, as I have, you've got 40 years of comedy music under your belt. You know what I mean? All the way back to, you know, I don't even know, uh, uh, what's the puppy, you know, dead puppies and he, he, you know, all the different, that was one of the first outlets for parody. I think yeah. I've mentioned this to you before. There's a very cool festival in Chicago called FUMP, the funny music project that right, Colleen and I have been to, I don't know, three of the last five years. I think we were going to go this year and then COVID got us. It, if you're looking for where you're seeing the people that were still great practitioners of that and in a very loving, appreciative audience. And of course they collect it all on CD. So you're getting like, you know, two CDs worth of the best music for that year, song parodies. And, uh, I, I just love, and, and people are very musical. You know what I mean? The fact that it doesn't just come out as doing stand up, but that they can find a way to, um, put it to a reasonable thing. And, and once in a while, a song like that breaks through on the radio. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm, I keep hoping that one of these guys will have that lightning in a bottle experience. Right. And yeah. it's like the, like kind of a MacArthur genius grant, right? If you make a whole bunch of money, then you can continue to do this thing without pressure, without fail, without having to do your day job, taking time away from it. I really believe in that, that patron type thing. I think a lot of them have Kickstarter projects and whatever backer city. And, you know, there's various other crowdfunding sites. And I, that's one of those, as I've um, gotten money, I often sponsor things that I just, I have a fleeting acquaintance with their work. And yet I want that work to come into this world. I want yeah. this guy to have the chance but to do this stuff, you know, <laughs> comedy music. Cause there, yes. like you said, there's tons out there, some of it better than others, like anything else, but weird Al is really the only one that's been successful. And I don't want to take anything from him. He's my idol. I grew up singing his, my, <laughs> football games, Friday night football games in high school in the marching band, my friend and I would sing weird Al to the whole bus there and back. And people would request certain weird Al songs. So, right. I mean, that's, that's like cool. my geek moment highlight of high school. Cause at <laughs> no other time could we be so geeky as we were singing weird Al to everybody on right. the bus. But so appreciated for it too, which yeah, is exactly. Cool, that was know? the whole thing. It was like, exactly. wow, <laughs> even being out of tune and everything, but yeah. there are a lot of comedy musicians out there, but nobody's been as successful. You know, what, what, yeah. what, what made weird Al that moment? You know, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, and why don't you we what, get it now? Yeah. From having been to Al fest and then that, that's this nexus of comedy. And now the foam fest has kind of taken over for that. I, I really love throwing toasters and, uh, uh, the grant, what's his last name? doesn't matter. The band is throwing toasters. I really like Rob Paravanian. I think it's Vanian instead of Vonian, but, and he does a great thing about the, the, um, boy, I don't know why I'm one step behind in, in my references today. The, um, cold weather. I, I guess it's that he, he does a great thing where he was a cello player growing up, which of course is comedy gold. You know what I mean? For how many times, but about, um, Pachelbel's Canon 
and how he hates that song because he had to play it and it had a very boring cello part, but then it's in every other song. And he goes through this medley of all these other songs that have that, you know, the particular melody and that it's like following him, haunting him. <laughs> so if you look for that on YouTube, Rob Partavodian and, and Paco Bell's Canon, it, you'll you'll see that great performance of and and I think every time he does it the list grows because he keeps on discovering another right. oh. artist that stole it. <laughs> Have you heard of uh, Access of Allies? Is it Access of Allies and Access of Allies? Yeah, Access of Allies. It's this okay. comedy group, but they point out how rock songs all use the same chords. And they do a medley of like 50 songs and it's just the same thing on the keyboard over and over. They keep singing more and more songs over top of it. That's and very funny. Comedy. <laughs> and it's kind of the same thing. Um, have you heard of Thomas? Uh, maybe M A B E. No, have not. He's another one. He does some comedy, um, but he also does some songs. Um, I mean, he has this really good one called Wiper Blades um, okay. <laughs> and about driving through slushy weather with bad wiper blades. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it's got some really good stuff. And he, he also is the one that did the uh, Revenge of the Telemarketers, that he was unemployed. So when telemarketers would call, he'd create a character and he'd talk to them as that character. Like, oh man, you got a vacuum cleaner, you need to come over. And basically it came <laughs> out that he had blood on the curtains. He needed to get the blood off. And did the guy know anywhere to hide a knife with blood on it and i mean it's just totally freaking this poor little sales kid out you know but he had all Very these good. characters he did so tom is tom yeah. maybe is another good one yeah, that's uh, Carla Ulbrich. I really like. In fact, she's. This is a very funny story. You know, I, on Facebook they had a thing. Hey, you know, we'll send you the CD free. All you do is pay for postage. So it's like I saw her at Fump. I like her enough. Went to her website, and then they had. Well, as long as you're buying this CD, you know, and right. if you buy this other one for five bucks, and I think I ended up buying her entire catalog <laughs> for a very reasonable price per CD because the add-ons were always like witty and engaging and like why not and so not only is she funny but she's a smart business lady if she put together that campaign like i went there to just like buy one apple and i went home with a bushel it she was knows kind of her cool. audience yes, exactly and like i don't know why wouldn't i want to have those things like for five bucks a pop that there there's there there's got to be a couple gems on each one. And, and in her case, that's their, their high density. There's lots of good stuff. And I want to support those folks. Yeah. I want it to be that they keep making more and that this isn't like, you know, there's all kinds of comedians where it's like, you know, they take their clown makeup off and they're sad underneath. And I want it to be that no comedy could really be a worthwhile thing to do with your life. Instead of being, I got to struggle to bring this gift to the world. I don't want people to struggle in that way if they're producing something of quality. And you there's know? a reason that they say laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> exactly that. You know, that, that's the biggest thing that Colleen and I miss from the COVID lockdown is stand-up comedy. We haven't been to hilarities or funny stop or, uh, you know, JR's last laugh in, in so long. We haven't been to our comedy festivals, man. That's, it, it really is. There's nothing better for your cardiovascular health, for your mental health. Yeah, than, yeah. Oh, it just laugh your butt off for an hour. Uh, when, so when Colin was in high school, he had a bunch of friends over and they had a stand up comedy open mic night here at the house. All the friends. So uh, <laughs> cool. and there was some funny stuff, man. This one kid told a story and we were all rolling on the ground. It was just he, he delivered it perfectly. And we're like, dude, you really should go to like open mic night. He's like, eh, I was just telling a story. 
and it was like it was perfectly timed and well well done um, well crafted exactly yeah, well done you know i can kind of understand that because i'm a pretty funny guy at least my friends tell me that often but when they say you know t- t- like you should go do stand up. It's like, you know, I don't want to be in, a, in the middle of a room with people saying, make me laugh. Right. I love doing right. It for my friends. I love doing it while we're like playing a game and you can sneak a good joke in and yeah. relieve tension. And just, it's like a gift that I give to my friends instead of whatever that next level is of now I have to be yes. funny on command. Absolutely. And you know, another thing is, I really don't like repetition. I tend to do a whole bunch of improv. Like when I speak, I have an outline, but I, every one of my speeches is different from one of my presentations. And memorizing lines so that I'll say them perfectly from city to city. I got my tight 10 and my tight 20 and my tight hour. I just, that's hell to me, is to craft it so that you know when to pause to wait for the laugh. And I just don't want to repeat myself. I'm always looking for I don't know, a, a new thing. I'm much more improv than I am uh, stand-up, I guess. So there that's Well, me. <laughs> there's something good to be said with that, too. Uh, you know, in bringing joy to people's lives in general. <laughs> exactly. Especially, it's wonderful when you make a joke in real time, spontaneously great. Like when Colleen and I crack each other up, that's another thing that, you know, now that we know we're each funny, is there anything better than, and you know, just that we we're driving along and every billboard is an opportunity for a pun, a snarky comment, a reminisce, whatever it's, right. we're little joke factories. She's, she's really funny. I am blessed to have a funny wife. So and she, she kind of thinks I'm good too. So that's a good, <laughs> you know, back and forth. So, right. All right. All well, right. Hey man, I hate to cut it short. I got to go. Unfortunately. Okay. So, Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll talk again next week. Talk to you later, man. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.